that you look out for us in these times. Father, we love you. We pray that your presence is felt here tonight. We pray that each one of these ladies just hears from you in a deep and special way, Father. Thank you for their safety, that bringing them here. Keep those who are still coming safe on the roads. And Father, we just pray that you are glorified in this lecture, in our discussion times, in what we have to share with one another. We praise you for this time. In your blessed name we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, we did content and opposition. So I'm going to take you back to that because that was the week. Okay, if I'm remembering, see, this is, I'm going to talk about remembering. So this is really applicable to me today. So I wanted, there was one point I wanted to make from that lecture. And then Cheryl took that week that I was supposed to teach. So I'm going to give one point from the previous lecture, so you're gonna, I'm going to recap that, and then I'm going to have one point to kind of wrap it all up from this week, so if you'll stick with me. So that's why I have weeks five and six up there. Um, so anyway, I wanted to explain that, but from week five, when we talked about um, content and opposition, I want to take you back to the story of Balak and Balaam. Does everybody remember that? Do I need to recap it? I don't know if I can remember everything, but you know the gist of it. He was a king who was frightened of the enormity of the group of the, of the Israelites. And basically, he hires Balak to come and curse the, uh, the nation so that they would be destroyed and he wouldn't have to be fearful of them. But there was one thing I noticed, and I don't know, again, if I knew this or I've just forgotten it. But did you guys re realize that when Balak contacted Balaam, Israel had no idea that this was going on? Did anybody pick up on that? See, I didn't either. I guess I always knew because we were studying Israel, 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 Israel for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then all of a sudden we had this little parenthetical subplot going on. And I guess I just assumed that Israel knew what was going on. But if you go back and read the account, they don't. They have absolutely no idea that Balak is contacting a prophet for hire to come and curse them. Now, Israel had just come off a triumph themselves of overcoming King Og. So they're camped out in the plains of Moab, and they're pretty happy for the most part. But then Balak sees them, and then he gets frightened. So Israel is totally oblivious to what's going on. And that really, I don't know... <laughs> I guess the word I'm saying had a profound impact on me because I always thought we should know what our opposition is all the time, right? If you're like me, I think opposition comes from someone who's coming at me, either physically or verbally. It's something I can see, feel, and touch. But Paul reminds us that really our opposition in Ephesians 6.12 is from the cosmic forces, the evil that's in the atmosphere, pretty much, the things that we cannot see. And that was what was happening with Israel. They didn't know what was going on. But yet it was still opposition that was going on behind their backs. So that was kind of new to me. Does that remind you of any other story, possibly in the Old Testament, where someone was taken unawares by opposition coming at him? Job, thank you. Yeah, Job. So the story is there. Satan comes to God. 
and he's talking to him and God's like, well, did you ever consider my faithful servant Job? And Satan's like, well, I can't go up against him. You've got a hedge of protection around him. So God actually gives Job permission, or I'm sorry, Satan permission to go after Job. And guess what? The poor guy doesn't even know what's coming at him. Has no idea that God has given Satan permission to test him. I think we know that one for sure. But in this instance with the Israelites and Balak and Balaam, we forget that. We forget that opposition can come at us without us even knowing what's going on. But we can know, we can, can, can know that whether opposition is seen or unseen, that God is always fighting for his children. Always. That's the first point I want to make. That was something that I think we know in our heads sometimes, but we don't always remember. That God is always fighting for us on our behalf, whether we know it or not. Whether there's opposition coming at us or not. But what does that have to do with contentment? How does that apply to contentment? Well, I think it applies in a big way. And it also comes from an account of the Israelites back in the Red Sea. So that, what was happening was when Pharaoh decided he had made a mistake in letting them go, he decided he wanted to go get them. So he took his armies and he, he was in hot pursuit of the Israelites and they came up against the Red Sea. And so the Israelites are cornered, basically. They can't turn to the left or the right, or if they did, they would definitely be killed. But the Red Sea's in front of them. There's nowhere for them to go. And that Moses says this one thing, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Is that an oxymoron? Is that the first thing you think of when opposition is coming at you, is to be still? No. In our flesh, we want to rise up and we want to fight. We want to take it on ourselves. But Moses is saying, be still. The fight is God's. In fact, it's not really a battle between Israel and Pharaoh. It's a battle between God and Pharaoh. Because in this one instance, Pharaoh is kind of symbolic of Satan. Satan's coming after God's children in a very physical way. And Moses wants Israel to see the fact that God's going to fight for them. God's going to be the victor against Pharaoh, Satan. He's going to deliver them. Plus, it's going to give them faith and trust in God in the future. Because if they see God deliver them from this situation, in this case of opposition, which is very tangible, then they will have faith and trust for God in the future battles that they're going to fight. So Moses says, God will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now still means to be calm, to be silent, to be inactive, to refrain. Now that doesn't mean we don't pray, obviously, but the basic premises is we stand still and we let God do the fighting for us. Our attitude is, God's got this. Let God handle it. Our inclination is to handle it ourselves, isn't it? But we have got to be still. We've got to rest in God. How does that build contentment? Well, when we're resting in God and trusting in God, we're not anxious. 
We're not fearful. We're not uncontent. But we're content knowing that God's got our back. He's the one who's going to fight for us, whether we can see the opposition or not. So on your handout, there is Psalm 46, a couple of verses. So when we're going into battle, just like the Israelites, whether they see the opposition or not, it's the same for us. We need to be still. We need to be calm. We need to let God handle it. He's the victor. He's the deliverer. He will take it on, on our behalf. So what I wanted to do was read this out loud, all of us. I know there's very few of us, but I think we can do it. So let's go ahead. Ready? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Twice, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When things are raging around us, whether it's opposition or we have a difficult situation we're coming up against, this is the promise and the truth that we can claim. The Lord Almighty is always with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God also said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, do not be in dread or afraid. The Lord your God who goes before you and will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. God is always going before us. He's always with us, fighting our battles. When we let God fight for us, we needn't give in to fear, worry, anxiety, hopelessness, and uncontentment. Contentment comes when we rest in God and allow him to feed our enemies, those seen and unseen. There's no battle that's too big or too formidable for God. Maybe for you and I, but not for God. Therefore, we don't put confidence in the flesh, as Philippians 3.3 says. Go back to the names of God. Does anybody still have that handout? I'm going to test you here. If you threw it away, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> I have been going back to those names over and over again. So we don't put confidence in our own flesh or in somebody else's flesh, but we put it in El Gabor. God Almighty, Jehovah Shareb, the Lord, our sword, El Elohim, which is the plurality of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all fighting on our behalf. Those are the names that have power and victory in them that we can claim when we're going up against opposition. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 4, 4, and I thought I had it up there, but I don't, and I'll read it to you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
And then I found this quote that I really liked, and I can't remember who the author is, because I read several articles, and sometimes I write down who they are, and I forgot this time. But this person said, when we belong to Jesus, the enemy never has the last word, but God does. And I love that. It's just very simplistic, something to cling to when we're, we're in a battle. So let God fight your battles. Be still. Rest in him. And you will be content. You won't be fearful. You won't feel hopeless. You won't feel anxious, knowing that God's got this. He is on your side. So that's the first point I wanted to make from week five. So the second point I want to make, which I hope wraps this up for this whole study, this is our last week, is the word remember. And that word means to remind, recall, mention, call to mind, or properly to remind oneself actively, purposefully. So depending on the translation that you use, that word remember, or maybe a variety of it, like remembrance, remembering, remembers, is used between 148 and 168 times in the Bible. So that tells me it's a pretty important word. Remember, to recall, to remind. But again, what does the importance of remembering have to do with contentment? Well, first, let me just say that forgetting is the natural state of our minds. It is remembering that takes effort. And I can't pronounce this person's name, but I got it from an article that they wrote, and I really thought it was very applicable. Forgetting is not the natural state of our mind. Or forgetting is the natural state. I already forgot. <laughs> forgetting is the natural state of our minds. Remembering takes effort. It takes effort. Our minds are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I think we should, like, rewrite those words sometimes. We forget over time. Or if you're like me, you forget in a couple of minutes. How many of you, like, for instance, I, I walk up the stairs in my house and I'm intending to go get something, and I'll get to the top of the stairs and I'm like, <laughs> what was I going to go get? I forgot. I told, and that's happening more and more, more and more as I'm getting older. In fact, I went to um, the doctor last week, and, um, you know, that doctor... And we were talking about feminine things, female things. And he was asking me a bunch of questions. And um, we finally came to the conclusion that I was in a certain season of life. And he looked at me. He goes, do you know what that season of life is called? And I said, yeah, it's called forgetfulness. So I'm like, sure, I think menopause should be renamed because it is a season of forgetfulness. And it's getting worse and worse for me, at least. Um, I'm forgetting things more and more. And I think that's why God says for us to remember, 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 lest we forget. Because he knows our minds. He knows that we are prone to forget. And that was the case with Israel. The people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of their many enemies on all sides. Over and over again, God did miraculous things for the Israelites. Over and over again, they kept forgetting. And their forgetting manifested itself in their grumbling and complaining. And we do the same thing too, don't we? We do forget. We forget what God has done for us. 
but God wants us to remember. I think that's one reason why he gave us the rainbow. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness and God's grace to mankind so that whenever we see the rainbow, it's a promise that he will never again flood the earth. I think it's another reason why he told the Jewish people to keep commemorating the Passover and all the other feasts that he gave them. Why? They were a remembrance of God's faithfulness to them because they would forget. Psalm 77 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. That's where the effort comes in, and that word will. It's intentional. We have to be intentional about remembering what God has done for us. So I came up with four practical ways that might help you remember God's faithfulness. So the first one comes from um, an occasion that we celebrate now, we don't celebrate the Passover and the feast that the Jewish people do, but is there an occasion that we celebrate that we are called to remember? Communion. Yes. Communion, the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, the, we're supposed to celebrate the Lord's Supper, take up the cup and the bread in remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So the first practical thing I came up was be intentional during the Lord's Supper. Now by that I mean yes, think about what Jesus did for you. Think about your sin that he died on the cross for to bring you salvation. But also think back over the last month and call, recall those things that God was faithful to do for you. Maybe it was something really simple like helping a child with a test. Or maybe for me, a doctor's appointment where I learned I have high blood pressure now. You guys are learning a lot about me. And so now I'm thankful that we discovered that and now I'm on you know, a dietary regimen to bring my blood pressure down. So things like that, that we can remember what God has done for us so that in the future, we will trust him and we will be content. So be intentional during the Lord's Supper. Second one, write it down. Journal. Some of you people may, people, some of you people, some of you ladies may already be doing this. But this is a great way to record what God has done in your life. I have 20 of these. Two of them go back before I was even a believer. So if I really want to remember what God's done in my life, all I have to do is read those two and then read the ones that he has done, um, all the faithfulness that he's shown me since becoming a believer. But it's a wonderful way to recall, to remember the faithfulness that God has shown in your life. Third, okay, oh, wrong one. Create a tradition. A lot of times at Thanksgiving, we share what we're thankful for, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But maybe also tack on to that. Remember what God has done in the past year. Go around the table and share maybe one thing that God has done faithfully in your life so that you remember. Or maybe Christmas time or New Year's is a great time to go back and remember and even write them down. And lastly, 
Collect memorials. These are visual reminders. My brother-in-law actually does this. He's a pastor, and um, they used to live in Knoxville, and sometimes he would go up into the mountains, the Appalachia Mountains, and he would do prayer hikes. And sometimes if he had a particularly meaningful prayer hike, he would pick up a stone, and he would bring it back to his house, and he would actually paint the date on it. And that date would remind him, oh, God answered this particular prayer, or I'm struggling with this, and maybe God spoke to me in a particular way. So maybe a visual reminder of what God has done for you, a feather or a flower or just some memento that you can look at and remember, this is what God's done for me. I remember that. And that's a reminder of what he did for me. Now, if you collect these, if you decide to do them, I would suggest getting a shadow box to put them in unless you want them all over on a shelf, which is fine. But I don't do this, but I might start. But this is a shadow box I made. This is my Grandma Smith. Isn't that cute? (laughs) But this is a shadow box. So you can put your mementos in here, and you can put them on a wall. So they're a continual visual reminder. You know, maybe where you sit every morning and have your quiet time. So anyway, that's just one practical way that we can remember the faithfulness of God so that we don't forget and that it cultivates contentment in us because we know he's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful in the future. And I did like this quote from Patricia Mitchell. She wrote an article. Um, she actually has a blog. Remembering God's help yesterday help us, helps us to trust him for today and tomorrow. And I would add to that, building trust and confidence in God also builds contentment in God, knowing that he's got our back. He's fighting our battles for us, and we can rest and be still in that. Amen? All right. Dear Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the reminders that you are a faithful God. Help us to always remember the things that you do for us, whether it's writing them down or picking up a memento that would remind us of who you are and what you've done in our lives. Father, we thank you for this evening. I pray that discussion time is fruitful, encouraging to one another. I pray that it's glorifying to you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. You're dismissed. (laughs) I always feel like I need to say that. (laughs) Y'all just look at me all like, okay.